Before we get started, I want to thank Anthropology for supporting our podcast. Hello there, I'm Julie Vadnall, Deputy Editor of Domino, and this is Design Time, The Rebellious Ones. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that we interviewed some of the biggest names in interior design. But this season, I'm doing things a little differently. I'm going to be talking to rebels, the out-of-the-box thinkers who put their creative stamps on our world, whether they work in design, fashion, or even food. After all, you don't have to paint a room all black to be a rebel, though I think that'd be super cool. Some of us engage in tiny acts of resistance every day, and that counts too. Each week, I'll talk to a new guest, a rebellious one, if you will, about how they turn off the doubting voices in their heads and how you can find your only you style. Let's do this. Today's guest is a brilliant interior designer and style expert. One of the reasons that I personally love her is that she creates spaces that are highly beautiful, but also highly functional. And maybe that has to do with the fact that she lives in a 1,200 square foot bungalow with her wife, two kids, and a 120 pound Great Dane named Callie. She's also a talented DIYer, and here's the rebel part. Instead of joining a design firm after college, she started her website, SG Style, which is brimming just overflowing with inspirational ideas. I go to it often and I really love it. I'm thrilled to be talking to Shavonda Gardner today on Design Time, The Rebellious Ones. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to have you here. I'm thrilled that you're in your home so I get to look at the background of your home while we talk. It's just a good day for me. Well, thank you. So the way we start off every episode is you introducing yourself by saying, hi, I'm Shavonda Gardner and I'm a rebel blank. Hi, my name is Shavonda Gardner, and I am a rebel community builder. No one has said that yet, and I love it. <laughs> You've also inspired 15 million questions based <laughs> on that answer. Why are you a community builder? I'm a community builder just through my work as writing, creating content, having a presence on social media. One of my core values of being on social. And one of the reasons I try to show up every day is to really build a community, to be inspiring, not only just to show my work and to be creative, but really to garner a community of people who are really like thinkers and challengers and people who are really curious, who want to know about not only just design and what I'm doing, but they're curious about the world. They're curious about things that are happening in our world right now, and really just about building this community of people who want to live very authentically, very intentionally, and who want to not only be inspired, but really help inspire other people as well. I just love that because... Anyone who thinks that design is just throw pillows and sofas, it's so much more than that. Like it reflects our culture, it reflects our time, and like you said, our community. So we're going to dig deeper into that because this is a podcast about rebels. I'm curious to know if in that community building and in your design, you consider yourself a rebel. Absolutely. I started my blog in 2011. So like 2010, I kind of spent some time trying to figure out what I want to do. We were just like right at the height of a recession. Naomi and I were like planning our wedding and we were also unexpectedly in the market to buy our first home. There were just so many things going on. And one day I took to 
the internet. I don't even remember what I was trying to find. Who knows? But I stumbled across an interior blog, right? I mean, everyone knows John and Sherry from Young House Love. So I stumbled across their blog. This is going way back. Way back. And I didn't even know what a blog was. I was like, what is this? I had no idea what it was. And then once I discovered them, I kind of fell down this rabbit hole and I started to find other bloggers. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is such a really interesting way of being connected to this world of design. I knew I wanted to do it in a different way. So I figured maybe this could work. But the one thing that I did notice is I did not see any other designers of color. There were literally no Black creatives, bloggers, anything in the interior space. And not only that, but I am part of the LGBTQIA plus community. I am married to a woman and I certainly didn't see any LGBTQIA plus (laughs) bloggers as well. So, you know, I just kind of found myself feeling there was a box that was empty and wanting to feel a connection to someone else, wanting to maybe find someone that had a similar style as mine. I loved a lot of color. In fact, When I started my blog, it was called A Home Full of Color. That was the name of my blog. So I love color and pattern and texture. And I've always, always been a lover of eclecticism. And so I didn't see that. And so my thing was like, you know what? See a need, fill a need. I'm sure if I'm sitting at home wondering where the people are, you can like be what you want to see. So getting into this world of blogging and creating content was a big time rebel move for me. I mean, most people that I was in school with were going off and they were going to work at firms or they were going to work at design centers or maybe even starting their own design firm. And so for me, I just knew that I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to go that more traditional route. So just being a rebel of wanting to pave my own path and create my own space and be a entity or a being within a space that other people could see and be like, oh my gosh, she looks like me. Or, oh my gosh, there's another queer family that's doing life and she's sharing it and this is so inspirational. And so, yeah, that's my rebel moment in all of this. It really is inspirational in so many ways, though. Like when I look at your feed, it's like you're one of those people. I'm like, I want that life. But can you break it down a little bit? Like we know that Instagram is only so real or are you just totally real yourself? Like, is there a difference between IRL and Instagram? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) That's rebellious. (laughs) I do share all of it. The good, the bad, the ugly. If you're in my stories, you're going to see the junk. Like I don't show up with makeup. You'll see me in my robe. Like I'm not getting, (laughs) I'm not getting dressed (laughs) to be on camera. Like it really does get down to the bare bones of it. But there is a certain level of polish that you have to have for your main feed, which, I mean, I think that's just really part of the job. But in terms of what you see that really and truly and genuinely is me and my family and my thoughts. And that has always been how it is for me. Even back when I'd say the shift of Instagram, I'd say maybe like 2015, 2016, that was a really big thing for me was to show up authentically and not necessarily worry about having this really beautiful curated feed. I wanted my feed to feel approachable, attainable, something that people could see and not get the FOMOs. So I've always taken a lot of 
pride in being in this position to have eyes on me and to influence other people. And so I never wanted to create this sense of aspiration that's not attainable. I think there's beauty and joy in creating this life that people want to aspire to. I think it's great that people want to aspire to surround themselves with beauty, to aspire to have beautiful, loving relationship, to aspire to have deep friendships, all of these things that we see every day. But I also think that it's important to have a really, really core foundation of reality in it. No, I totally agree with you. And this comes up kind of every day with working at a design magazine where you get pitched things all the time that you're like, okay, that's pretty, but what does it do? It can't just be pretty. But I feel like that goes along with a lot of the things you design. Like you, to me, seem to design to solve problems, to create more space where there isn't space or color where there isn't color. So when you look at a room, where do you start? Like, what are you thinking? I always start with the end in mind, always. And I'm kind of one of those people, I start at the end and then I work my way back to the beginning, solving problems along the way. And yes, you nailed it. Every space that I ever tackle, everything that I always do, function is first, always function before anything. At the end of the day, people have to use the space. Our homes are for using. They're not for public consumption on social media platforms. (laughs) They are but we are meant to be able to use our homes. They have to work for us. And that is key, that is core. So I'm always solving a problem. What is the need here? The beauty comes after, and that's really just a bonus for me. If at the end of the day, if I finish a room that is as beautiful as it is functional, then I've won. If I end up finishing a room and it's like super, super functional, but maybe it's not as beautiful. That is something that can always come. We can always create beauty in ways. I think there's also a lot of beauty in the way that a space works. If you can walk into a space and not even have to think about it, you're not fiddling with things, you're not having to move around things, you're not having to like turn this door a million times before it'll open. I think that our lives should just be really easy when we're in spaces. And to me, that's really beautiful. I'd much rather be in a space like that than be in one that is drop dead gorgeous, but you're like, what am I supposed to do here? Do I sit here? (laughs) Do I sit there? You know, does a pillow go here? Like, can I put my glass down here? I don't know. It's just a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I'm laughing because when I moved into my apartment with my boyfriend, we bought a vintage sofa that had this like curved back and is very sexy and cool, but also very low to the ground. And we're both taller people. Like he's six feet. We didn't think about the fact that we would have to like push ourselves up. (laughs) (laughs) So sometimes I'll even like roll off the sofa onto my knees and like get up from there. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. I needed Shavonda in my life at that moment. (laughs) Do you have a store in your life that whenever you walk through its doors, you become transported inspired and overwhelmed with pure joy? For me, that place is anthropology. Since college, I've bought candles, pillows, and dinnerware, literally you name it, from their cool hyper-curated mix. And those are the pieces I've cherished for years. 
Nowadays, when I look at my vintage sofa and see the pink, lavender, and mustard-colored fuzzy anthro pillow on top of it, I feel the same giddy feeling I did when I first found it at Anthropology's Chelsea Market store. That's the amazing thing about Anthropology: It's nostalgic and forward-looking all at once. And as the holiday season approaches, I can't wait to wow my guests with only at Anthro pieces for hosting, celebrating, and entertaining. I'm clearly not alone. Anthro has hundreds of stores, millions of social followers, and a website that has new arrivals literally every day. Get inspired and start shopping at anthropology.com. I want to talk about your move from mm-hmm. this bigger house. I know you were in like a builder grade, spacious. And then why did you decide to move to this bungalow that was half the size? <laughs> and then you got this massive dog. Yep. Tell me about that decision to downsize. Well, if you ask my wife, she would think that I was absolutely out of my mind. <laughs> I've just always loved little old houses, always. And really what it came down to is at that point in my life, I really was just taking stock of like my life. What was I doing? I was feeling really stressed. And I was just like, one day I sat down and I was like, we are only using half of this house, quite literally. You know, I kind of just gave myself about a week to study. What spaces are we using? What is our daily path? How often are we going into spaces? All of these different things. You know, I sat down with Naomi. I said, hey, baby, you're going to think I'm crazy. (laughs) I have an idea. So I just said, you know, I know we're really comfortable here and we have a lot of space and all of this, but I really think maybe I want to sell the house and move into something smaller. And she was like, why would we want to do that? She was like, why would you want to do that? And I'm like, because... I genuinely feel like we are not using this house. We're only actively using about 1,200 square feet of this 2,400 square foot house. This means that we are paying extra for mortgage for space that we're not using. We are paying utilities. We're having to heat it, cool it. We're having to worry about furnishing it. I'm sitting here thinking, how am I going to furnish this space? How am I going to make this space work when it's like, I don't need it. I don't use it. You know, I'm like, we have a guest room, but like, how often are we having guests? So it was really just taking stock of what we were actually using in this house. And so, yeah, that was really it. Also at the time I was good, like blogging content friends with Dana from house tweaking. And she had been sharing her downsizing journey at the time. And I had always just thought like, wow, that is so inspiring. That's so cool. Man, I wonder if that's something we could ever do, you know? And so really just taking stock again, taking those lessons from her as she was sharing her journey and just having those conversations, like, is this something that we could do? And so, yeah, we just decided let's do it. I love it. I read something that you said, and I'm, you know, a lot of people think the American dream or like an American culture, people like think we need to have these big homes. How has your community changed since you moved? Have you seen, you know, do your children seem happier? Do you know your neighbors now? Like, how has that improved? Yes, absolutely. I do think, especially back then, I think that perceptions and times are changing now in 2022, as opposed to what they were in like 2012, 2013. We moved in 2014. So certainly there's been changes between 2014 and 2022. But yes, American, if you will, dream of 
it's about more and more and more, right? It's like you start out with this tiny apartment, maybe like right out of college and you're like barely getting by. And then when I land that good job, I'm going to move to a bigger place, you know, and then you get that bigger place. And then it's like, oh, now you're settling down. Maybe you're getting married. Maybe you're having kids. So guess what? You feel like, oh, we now we need more space. Time's move into a a house. And then you start off in a house and then you're like, oh, well, now the kids are growing or maybe now I've got more kids. We need more room. So then you buy the bigger house. There's just like this constant feeling of needing more. And I think a lot of times in our culture that also cultivates this perception that is what deems success. Like if you have a big house and if you live in a particular neighborhood and you have all of these things, then you have made it. That is like the physical manifestation of success in your life. And I just don't believe it. I don't buy into that. And so again, that was just reshaping my mindset. And from day one, we moved in this house, we got keys. We didn't even make it out of our car. We literally pulled into the driveway and our sweet little old neighbor, Miss Daphne, She's no longer with us anymore, but Miss Daphne comes over with her walker and like tomatoes she had just picked from her garden. And she's like, hi, my name is Daphne. I'm your neighbor. I just brought you some tomatoes from my garden. I'm so happy to have you here. If you need anything, please let me know. It kind of makes me choke up now thinking about it. Because first of all, that was just such a powerful thing. It was just an immediate welcome, an immediate sense of like, okay, we're welcomed. And now that she has passed, it's really sad because we just loved her so much. She was just wonderful. But honestly, within three days, every neighbor, every neighbor within you know the first six houses down had come and they had brought their phone numbers. They had brought us a welcome basket. They had brought fruit or baked goods, told us, hey, if you need anything, let us know. This is the day that the trash goes out. We had a neighbor come and like water the grass for us and pull our bins down. Because we were in this transition, our house had sold a lot faster <laughs> than we found this house. So we were in an apartment and we knew we wanted to like do some fixing of things before we moved in. So we were kind of staying in the apartment while we were working on the house a bit before moving in. And they were just like watching things for us. You know, they would make sure that things got done. And I just felt this sense of connection and community that we wanted. I mean, that was part of the whole reason why we decided we wanted to downsize. So it was wonderful. It sounds like it felt like you were home. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. I want to get into the nitty gritty though of having a smaller home. I love what you say about color and wallpaper and pattern, because I think a lot of people still think that if you have a smaller space, you have to paint it all white and has to be like very breezy. And you rebel against that idea. So can you tell me why maybe even a black room or like a very dark room is okay if you have a smaller space? Right. So yeah, you're not going to find a white wall anywhere in <laughs> in my house. <laughs> you're not going to yes. find a, a white wall, a light wall. I just It's just not me. But I think, yes, there is this perception that if you have a small house, you have to paint everything white because it, it makes the space feel bigger. I've got news for you. Your space is your space. 300 square feet, four, five, six, 800 square feet is 800 square feet. No amount of light, no amount of white, no amount of whatever is going to give you a bigger space. What you want to do when you are 
trying to create space here is you want to figure out what feeling you want. You're trying to evoke a feeling in your space. I personally think the power of small spaces is the way that they make us feel enveloped. It's the sense of being cozy, the sense of creating a vibe, and you can absolutely do that. It's like lean in, lean in. If you're in a house and you got like one window and maybe it's like north facing so it doesn't get a ton of light, you paint those walls white and it's just going to feel like gray gloom doom. Like the light is not pouring in and bouncing off of those white walls. It's probably doing the exact opposite. But you put color on that wall, even if it's black, you really start to just let that space be what it's going to be. Let it shine as something that's darker, something that's moodier. Layer in lighting, sconces, lamps, create that mood, create that sense of coziness through the things that you bring in. Sometimes your space is what it is and you can't change it. You can't add a window. You can't add a skylight. So just embrace it and give it what it needs to be. A really big trick that I always do is I never forget the ceiling. It's the fifth wall. And if you can, always paint your ceiling. I tend to paint my ceilings the same color as my walls. And when you do that, you give your eye a place to, it just keeps going. It doesn't stop. Anytime you paint the walls and then you leave your ceiling white, it stops the eye. It stops the space. It cuts it off. Oh, so it makes it look like a bigger, taller room if yes. you just keep going? Oh, that's brilliant. Paint it all the same color and it's like the room expands. It extends beyond the eye. It makes your ceilings feel taller than what they are. And when it comes to dark and black in particular, people are always a little bit afraid of. But for me, it's like the night sky. You look outside at night and the sky just keeps going. Everything is black. There's no end. And that is the same sense that you get in a space that you're working with black walls. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you have a favorite black paint shade? Sherwin Williams Tricorn Black all day, every day. Of course you knew. It's literally my favorite. <laughs> it's my favorite black. I was like, here, I'm going to throw her a hard <laughs> question. And she's like, stop it, Julie. I know what I'm doing. Okay. The other thing I think of with small spaces and mostly my own is that if I have a closet, I can just throw everything in there and shut the door. But I'm guessing you're going to tell me I'm wrong with this. And so I'd like to know some of your hacks for closets when you have a small space and really just like maximizing a closet. Height. It just really height. Adding in shelves as high as the closet can go. A lot of times, you know, like a standard closet, you go and there's like one shelf. It's usually like a little ways down from the ceiling. And then there's like a space to like hang clothes. So I feel like there's always this real estate above the shelf that doesn't get used as much as it can. So adding shelves, also adding or creating like dedicated baskets or bins or anything like that helps to really give things a space to live. You want to create intentional places for things to go. If not, you do end up just like throwing your shoes in there or throwing whatever in the closet, like you said, to kind of get away. But it's really just about find a place for things, give them a home. And while you're doing that, you may even realize you don't need some of the things that you've been tucking away after all. Well, that brings me to my next question, which I know you're all about function, but is there something in your home that has really no purpose or function? There is certainly, certainly something that 
I have in my house that makes me, it just makes me feel good. So when we re renovated our kitchen, so we used to have this very, very tiny little dining area and it was just placed kind of oddly in the house. And so when we renovated the kitchen, we moved our dining table in the middle of the kitchen, which I love. Then we just had this space that was just there because we weren't using it before. We put a bookcase in there and I have my plant in there. And then I have my Eames lounge and I like just kind of created a little library nook and I love it. I love it so much. I feel like we added so much real estate to our house because now we have like another place that I can put a chair, right? Cause we don't have like a living room and a den and a formal that I, we don't have any of that. So it's really nice to be able to be like, oh my gosh, I have this little library nook over here. It's just a chair in a corner, but it really just makes me feel super happy. That reminds me too, you have this theory on your laundry room. You hate doing laundry. Yep. So you did what? This I love this story. Yes. So laundry is the absolute bane of my existence. I hate it so <laughs> much. Like I hate it so, 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 so much. Um, You know, and I just was like, listen, you can't get away from it. I got to mm-hmm. do laundry. If I have to do it, I'm going to do it in a space that I love. If I have to be in here, I at least want the space to make me happy when I walk in. So I wallpapered it floor to ceiling in this beautiful purple botanical wallpaper from Justina Blakeney. And it makes me so incredibly happy. It's the smallest space in our house and (laughs) it's the most colorful and pattern filled. And so now we have this space that is highly functional. It is a part of our lives that we can't escape, but now I don't absolutely hate being in there. I love that. Yeah. It's genius. It's so, so smart. You also did a very popular pandemic thing, which is to make your yard kind of like another room of the house. And actually now there's an ADU. But like, tell me about how you approached the outside space to make it again in Shivanda style, more functional, but also very beautiful. Yeah. So the yard is really what sold us on our house. While our home is very small and cozy and quaint, our yard is not. We are on a very big lot and it was just grass before. I mean, it's just grass for days. And, you know, one of the things as small home dwellers is like try to find ways to extend your living space if possible, if you have an outdoor space. So that's what we did. We're really lucky to live in California where we can enjoy being outdoors for a lot of the year. There's maybe three months out of the year where we really, we can still be outside, but it's not like the most comfortable. So we decided to extend our living space to outdoors and create different zones. So we have our dining and outdoor kitchen area. I have my garden, which I love so much. Naomi got a pool, finally. So it's just about maximizing as much space, using as much of our property as possible. I think a lot of people, even when they have really big you know, houses, much larger than mine, sometimes like the backyard just becomes like an afterthought or a dead zone. And I think it's really important to, to think about like when you're buying your home, when you're paying for this mortgage, your property extends beyond the, the walls of your house. It is your entire property. So really, you know, give yourself that space, make it beautiful, make it functional, make it work for your family. And so, yeah, we even had enough space for me to build an office for myself, which I'm so excited about. (laughs) I'm so excited about it. Yeah, that sounds incredible. (laughs) 
And what was the, was that like, did you go to Home Depot and build it yourself or did you find a company that, how did you build that? So it's a company called Studio Shed. They're based out of Colorado. And I had heard of Studio Shed years and years ago. And I just kind of told myself, you know, if we ever do figure out what we're going to do about some type of office for me, like I would love to have a studio shed. It was just like a dream. And so when it came down to it and, you know, we decided I really got to do something. I need a space to work. I remembered that I just always wanted a studio shed. So here we are. We built it. It was a lot of hard work. So yeah, it's wonderful. And we're I'm almost to the finish line now. When I think about all of the ways you design, it, it does seem very rebellious. Like you really think about things in a different way. So I'm curious to know what advice you have for your fellow design rebels. Yes. So my biggest piece of advice, and I say it to people all the time, is do you, boo. Do you. <laughs> honestly. Yeah. It seems like such a simple thing, but it's so hard for people to do because, you know, human beings, often we want approval. We want people to like what we're doing. We want people to feel like what we're doing is great or cool or whatever. Um, It's really hard to kind of step out and do your own thing. And that is the most rebellious, most wonderful thing you can do is just push aside what people may think, what people may see, what people may, other people's opinions and do you especially when it comes to our homes. Our homes are meant to be our safe havens. They're meant to be the space outside of the rest of the world that where we come to feel like ourselves, to feel restored, to connect with our family, our friends. And those spaces should be a direct reflection of who we are. They should not be something that you saw in a magazine that you're like, oh, this is what's trending. This is what's popular now. So this is what I have to do. You absolutely do not have to do that. What you have to do is create a space that makes you feel the absolute best you can. If that means a white wall person, do you. If that means your polka dots, do the polka dots. If that means you are someone who have no desire to have a big fancy kitchen because you're not cooking because you prefer to eat out, then put your time and energy into another space in your home. Really, really think about the way that you live, the way that you want to live, the way that you want your home to embrace you at the end of the day and do that, whatever that looks like. I love that idea of your home embracing you. That's really sweet. Is there something that people told you not to do, but you did anyway, design-wise? No, actually. Or, life, or life-wise. <laughs> uh, no, there's not anything that anyone told me not to do Okay, that I did anyway. I think because I just have such a strong sense of self and who I am that people just kind of like, don't try to tell me what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's not much that people have ever told me not to do, but backstory though, I will say when I graduated high school, I joined the military. So I spent like six years of my life doing the things that other people told me to do without any regard of like what I actually wanted to do. So I think by the time I finished my military career, I was like, if I don't want to do it, I'm not doing it. If I want to do it, I'm doing it. And I think that just really kind of set the tone for the rest of my life, I think. People don't think of the military and design often, now I will. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, when there's a lack of it, when you are in a position where you have to look like everyone, you have to dress like everyone else, you have to talk like everyone else, walk like everyone else. Literally, you march 
as a unit. There's no individual. If you are individual in that sense, that is a sense of weakness. You have to think and act and move as one. It is literally the only way that you can survive and it will save your life if we are in a situation of like, you know, combat and war, obviously. But it does not leave room for creative expression. It's not meant to. So when I finished my military career and my time in the Air Force, I was like, I am going to make it a point to do the thing that I want to do regardless as to how other people feel about it. And that just was it. Beautiful. It's amazing. (laughs) It is. It's really inspirational. Finally, before we get to the never have ever, my last question for you is what your next act of rebellion will be. My next act of rebellion. Okay, let me say this. My next act of rebellion will be finding maybe a second wind, right? Our kids are getting older. So now, you know, we're just thinking about what's next. And I think that's going to be a really, really rebellious time of my life. And I'm super excited about it. Ooh, keep me posted. I, no, I'm very I definitely <laughs> will keep you posted. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Never have I ever hung my own wallpaper. No, I have not. Wait, what? I was... <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm just lobbing no, her a softball. No, hires out wallpaper and I hire out drywall. Okay, smart woman. Yeah, I do not I do not hang wallpaper. It's so expensive. There's no way. Never have I ever bought a piece of decor or a pillow with a phrase on it. Yes and no. Actually, I'm gonna say yes. Yes, I have. I, I'll just say yes. Yes. Okay, you need but like you some really further. cool, like cool, cool girl stuff. Okay. So it's not like live, laugh, love. No, we are not. No, we are a Ray Dunn free home. Yeah. There's none of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like there's this really cool artist that does this dope like needlepoint oh, cool. pillows that have like the coolest phrases on it. Never have I ever decorated a room just for the gram. No. But yeah, that would go against your whole ethos. What room, girl? You see how many? I have 12. I have two bedrooms and a bathroom. I There's there's no room for me to like decorate something just for the gram. No. <laughs> Point taken. <laughs> okay. Uh, never have I ever bought or rented an apartment or house sight unseen? No. Would you ever? Yes. Oh, cool. I mean, a lot of people have when, like, there was good pricing, Mm -hmm. which seems insane, but also not. I would do it, for sure. You would do it. Okay. Um, Last one. Never have I ever made a terrarium. I have many years ago. Oh, Uh gosh, I forgot about when terrariums were, like, Remember that? Yeah. Shavonda, this was so much fun. I feel like I could talk to you for another hour at least, and I won't do that to you. But but I really appreciate your time, your stories, your openness, and I appreciate you. So thank you. Thank you for having me. This is so cool. When I found out that I was doing this podcast, my one and really only request in the whole process was that Shadi Al-Hindi, the head of IT at our parent company, Recurrent, read the closing credits. And I know that might sound funny, but Shadi has a voice that I swear could sue the 100 crying babies. And I know this because sometimes when my computer's not working, I am that crying baby. 
And just hearing him talk instantly lowers my blood pressure. You will hear what I mean in just a second. I'm so excited to share Shadi and his beautiful voice with the world. Take it away, Shadi. Hello, I'm Shadi Al-Hindi, and contrary to popular belief, I am not a voiceover actor, yet at least. But I am the vice president of technology at Recurrent, Domino's parent company. Julie's asked me to read the credits to the podcast you've just heard. I blindly said yes, so I think that makes me a rebel too. And here we are. Design Time, The Rebellious Ones is hosted by Julie Fatno and produced by Ali Alquiza, with special thanks to Lindsay Mather, Britt Ashcraft, Claire Urshishon, Michaela Klein, Kim Gray, Lindsay DeSimone, and Maria Luna. Our Chief Content Officer is Kate Berry. Our theme music is by the talented Alex Weinstein. And I'm Shadi Al-Hindi, Vice President of Technology at Recurrent Ventures. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. See you all next week, right here on Design Time, The Rebellious Ones.